Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. We wanted to take a moment to thank you for your continued support over the years. It's hard to believe that we've been having weekly in-depth discussions about movies since 2011. That's right, 12 years and counting. Producing this show is a labor of love for us, but it does require a lot of time and effort each week. If you enjoy our podcast and would love to help keep it going, there are some easy ways you can show your support. One is by using our Originals page to shop for the original source material that movies we've discussed were based on. That's right. In season one alone, we covered 13 films adapted from books or plays, from Charlie Kaufman's adaptation to David Fincher adaptations like Fight Club. In season two, we covered even more, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. We can't forget about the four Jason Bourne movies we talked about. Love those movies. Well, the original trilogy, at least. <laughs> for our Richard D. Zanuck series, we did Jaws, Rush, Big Fish, and more. And for our horror series, we talked about John Carpenter's The Thing, which was adapted from Who Goes There? We did our first great car chase series with movies like Bullet, The French Connection, and Drive. And for the holidays, we did Preston Sturgis's Christmas in July. We had a great John Huston series with adaptations like The Maltese Falcon and The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And for our baseball series, Moneyball with Brad Pitt. Have I told you lately how much I love that movie? Uh, yeah, I think you have. Plus, our Magician series and Heist film series had adaptations as well. Tons of page-to-screen gems. Listeners can find the details and links to the original material at thenextreel.com slash originals. Every book, play, or movie you buy through our links helps support the show, and it's no extra cost to you. So dive in and get your next read today. Thenextreel.com slash originals has all the films adapted from other sources that not only we have covered, but all of the shows on the Next Real family of podcasts. Check it out and get reading. Support the show and build your reading list. It's a win-win. Head to thenextreel.com slash originals. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. 
in just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I needed weights to pin me down to the bottom. Hi, everybody. Uh, this is, uh, we call this show uh, The Next Reel. And we're glad you uh, could join us for The Next Reel. Uh, I'm Pete Wright, and there's Andy Nelson right over there. Hello. Across the room. Hello. Hello. And uh, so, yeah, so the thing is, um, we, what do we talk about on this show? We talk about movies. We got we talk about one movie every week. That's what we do. If you want to find out all the great ways to contact us, just head over to thenextreel.com slash contact, and you can email us, you can call us, you can tweet us, you can do uh, whatever, really whatever you want. And uh, so that'd be great. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes uh, if you're not listening live. Um, which you can also do at thenextreel.com slash live. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, and you can get it the next day. It usually goes up Friday mid-morning, sometime-ish. And uh, and you can uh, have something to listen to while you're doing the uh, lawn work, like our friend Steve. That's right. Yeah. Uh, so that's it. Tonight we're, we are continuing our session, our, our, our series on original sci-fi. Very excited about this conversation. Oh, me too. Um, and I hope you're more excited than you were last week because you were a little bit snotty. I was not. I am very excited about it. I have some issues, but I'm still excited. Do you know what the word is for you? Persnickety. I've been thinking about that all day. You're a persnickety viewer of some of these films. Well, I guess I can't argue with that. <laughs> <laughs> you seen anything good this week? Um, yes. What? I've been catching up on some films from last year, and I watched... Finally, uh, the raid redemption. The raid redemption. I don't even. Yes. I haven't even heard of this. What is this magical film? Which it's speak? it's a fantastic film that oddly is almost a, uh, identical to um, dread. <laughs> it's like the same. Film. That is really sad. No, but it's not because <laughs> it's 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 more of an Asian version with just nonstop like. Uh, I don't know if it's kung fu or karate or whatever it is, but it's it's pretty kick ass. <laughs> That's is that an ironic tribute to this film that you saw? Uh, no, no, it was it was a very given, exciting tribute. Given the trailer that we want to talk about tonight. Well, yes, in that sense, it is. That's you are ironic. The uh, funny thing about let me <laughs> say this though: the funny thing about the raid is it's directed by a Scottish guy, uh, Gareth Evans, who I don't know how he ended up making this this uh kind of this kung fu action film but uh lo and behold there he is making it and uh, he did an amazing job i highly recommend the raid absolutely fantastic film and watch dread they're both great fun films <laughs> i did i told you i watched dread right didn't we talk about that no you didn't tell me that oh yeah i watched it because of you and 
I'm the persnickety viewer of. of oh my goodness! <laughs> I I had just a little much. You know, when you're trying to be that guy, you know, you're trying to be um, Christian Bale. You're trying to be, uh, um, you know, what's his name? The first Batman in the uh, Tim Burton. What was his Mike, name? Michael Keaton? Michael Keaton. You're trying to be Michael Keaton. I'm Batman. You know, you're trying to do the gravel thing. Oh, and... I thought he did it so much better than either of them. Like he was dread the whole way through. Carl Urban was. Carl dread. Urban was not dread. You are he making was. you. You need. You were must have been sedated when that movie was playing in your head. There was some sort of of altered chemical effect in you that he was not <laughs> dread the whole way through. If he he's. Was. You may know him as dread, but he'll always be bones to me. <laughs> wow! Look at that. We've both had little. Uh, segues to trailers haven't we <laughs> whoa and that wasn't even the trailer i was going to talk about this week oh wow yeah. oh, i want to talk about something else you discovered that you sent me this email and i think it's uh we as a good deed to our, our oh yeah i want to talk about that too holy smokes that is the most useful thing ever isn't it go ahead you tell tell the world andrew it, this is a website that i uh i found through uh our friends over at Flickchart. it's a website called real or fake 3d.com and basically, it lists if you're if you're wondering which film is it that is shot with real 3D cameras as opposed to the fake 3D that where they they come in afterward to make it look like 3D just to make them buck, and you get upset because you go to see this 2D conversion and it just looks like just garbage. This is the website that you can go to, and it goes through every film all the way back through really 1952. <laughs> <laughs> they really go back. I, I, they're it's, definitely they're, missing let's a just lot, say there, there's. It's not a long list in 1952. I I've no. never actually seen Buana Devil. But well, and I will say though, they are really missing a lot of the films from the the heyday of 50s back in uh, or heyday of 3D films back in yeah. the 50s. There's right. a lot of 3D films that were made back then that they don't have. I mean, they really start being accurate. I guess you could say probably about in the 2000s, 2003, and up. That's when they really start. And then 2006 is when the fake 3D came in and really just started making a mess of everything. Do you ever... Uh, yeah, so to stay on topic, stay on mm. topic. Stay so on coming, coming up, what I thought was interesting, there are some films that I thought were interesting and surprised me. So um, obviously films like Jurassic Park that were shot you know, decades ago, they're coming back in 2013 and they are in fake 3D. Sure, uh, but films like um, uh, uh, Iron Man, Man of 3, Steel, Man of yeah. Steel, Pacific Rim, GI Joe uh, Retaliation, all of even, these are even Star Trek. I, I know Hansel and Gretel, Witch Hunters. Yeah, uh, Which, yeah. I was per really disappointed Percy Jackson, Sea of <laughs> Monsters. Um, you, you know, I found, uh, Thor, uh, the second Thor film, uh, and uh, of course uh, the Wolverine. Uh, these all of these films, I would have thought they were, uh, you know, they were really um, real 3D. They were real 3D that they were going to put some great effort into it. And what equally surprising, The Great Gatsby um, yeah. is real 3D. Is real 3D. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, the One Direction concert movie, I think, is. <laughs> what? I was hoping for that. What you know? You know what else I found surprising? Spiders and, 3D. This actually doesn't have anything to do with the 3D aspect, hmm. but just the fact that in 2013, there are three Oz movies. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's Oz the Great and Powerful, which we discussed right. in our film board last at, week. At length, exhaustive yes. length. There's Dorothy of Oz coming out in 2013. What is in that? Do you know real, what is that? In real 3D. And The Wizard of Oz coming out in fake 3D in 2013. Now, is The Wizard of Oz, is that a... Is, are, I, I don't know what they're doing. Is that a... I don't... Is I that think, the movie? Is that a remake of The Wizard of Oz? Or is that... I, no, I think it's the real... The original Wizard, Wizard of Oz. Oz. And they're doing a 3D conversion oh, of it. Oh, goodness, people. Go make new movies. No. The, the movie Dorothy of Oz is an animated musical... That's coming out in October. Well, no, it's when is it coming out? Uh, it's just right now it says October or uh, no, coming out in 2013. I don't know when. It looks bad just looking at the poster. Um, I don't know what to expect of it. Um, Leah Michelle and Patrick Stewart are voices in it. Mm. Hugh Dancy, Dan Aykroyd, Martin Short, Kelsey Grammer, James Belushi. It's got a big, big cast. So who knows? Seriously. Maybe. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I. Can't imagine it's going to be good. Uh, the Hobbit Desolation of Smog and The Hobbit There and Back Again, 2013, 2014, back to back. Real 3D, if you uh, if you couldn't have predicted that. I think it would be even better, though, if he had just done straight up 2D. Just changed his mind. Wouldn't that be great? Oh, that'd be back, great. Backtrack a little bit. Did you see that? Did, did I talk about that Saturday Night Live thing about I The think Hobbit? So. The one where Gandalf tries to remember the name of an elf he once knew. <laughs> Part eight. Um, awesome. uh, so I, that is a an incredibly useful tool, real or fake 3D people. You should uh, bookmark that if you are into movies. And if you have, if there is a better service out there, please let us know. Um, what? Any other? Uh, any other notes from the week? What do we have? Any notes? I I don't have any notes. Mm -mm. You know, uh, this was from uh, last week. Uh, Nicholas Cage Roulette. Oh, that's that fantastic. Posted? Yeah, that's yeah. fantastic fun. I tried it and I ended up with uh, Scorsese. I got, um, uh, I'm blanking on it, but the Ambulance Driver movie. What's that called? Oh, yeah, the one with the upside down trailer shot. Yeah, I quite enjoyed uh, that. Yeah, that was a good one. Shot, at least. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed that movie. It wasn't my favorite, Did you? but uh, I, I thought I was it was just, interesting. I just pray for Season of the Witch. Or <laughs> it's like, come on, come on, come on, give me one of those. No whammies, no whammies, no whammies. How about gone in sixty seconds, man. Oh. Or I could watch Wind Talkers again and again <laughs> and again. Bringing out the dead. That's what that <laughs> oh, saying. bringing out the dead. That's right. Yeah, yeah, good old. No, it's fun. It's fun. It's a fun yeah, little really tool. Fun. Um, let's see other uh, other notes and links of note. Uh, we, there have been some great links of note uh, on our Facebook page, Facebook.com/slash/TheNextReal. You should check it out. Uh, we've got um, we've got some just great uh, links and trivia that you should check out between our uh, episodes. So make sure to like us over there. And thanks uh, as always to all of our new listeners. What trailer do you got tonight? What do you want to talk? About? I know you I were conflicted. I, I was conflicted. Yeah, I, I, I think I'll jump on the uh, the Kick-Ass 2 official Red Band trailer that uh, was just released. Uh, you know, I enjoyed the first one. It didn't wow me as much as I was really hoping it to, or hoping it to. <laughs> oh. <laughs> as much as I was hoping it would, you think I'm drinking, but really it's just water, I swear. The thing about about this trailer, okay, so the trailer is good, and and the thing about the movie is that, um, you know, I mean, it's got all the right people in it again. Um, 
it, it looks interesting. It looks like more of the same from the first one. Um, it's, yeah, I mean, yeah. they're just they're just taking everything and they're just giving you more of it, more of the swearing and and kickassery and. This this time it's uh, Kirk, J- yeah. Jim Carrey is uh, Colonel Stars and Stripes. He has mm-hmm. a dog. Um, y- you know the uh, Aaron Taylor Johnson uh, is kick ass and uh, always great. I think the real kind of celebration of um, of kick ass though the real kind of the thing that really took it over the edge uh, the first time for me was um, the. Uh, uh, what's it? Uh, Was it Hit Chloe, Girl? Chloe, uh, or, yeah. Grace, Chloe Grace Moretz. Moretz. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she just her role in general is that having that young girl play such a shocking um, character involved in such violence, right? Uh, and just foul mouth, uh, foul mouthery. Uh, she she's getting older. Yeah. And so She's that get- you no longer have that kind of context shift, you know, that context shock where, you know, that's a young girl who's not supposed to be doing those things. Right. Now it's a now it's a, you know, a teenager who's yeah. gotten lip implants and uh is going to be playing Carrie we already know and yeah she's she's already kind of gone past that line and yeah. it's just not shocking anymore yeah it's not shocking anymore and i think she uh and and so i i don't know if it necessarily has the same kind of um uh kind of pull for me that the first one did i i deeply enjoyed kickass the i think the second time i saw it the first time i i went in just having no idea or or having an expectation of what it was and it was not that film and um then I, I feel like I grew to understand it. Yeah. So I'm I'm hoping that the second one will deliver. I, well, I, I yeah, I hope it does. I, I'm not super excited by the trailer. I it, it intrigues me though. You know what it, you know what it is? This is different than the um uh, what did we talked about last week. It was um uh the uh, trilogy of um you know, the crazy Las Vegas thing where Las Vegas is mm-hmm. burning. Hangover, hangover, hangover three, three, right? It's not like Hangover 2 where I just wanted more Hangover and Hangover 2 delivered. Right. I finished with Kick-Ass and I was done. Yeah. I didn't but apparently, need anymore. Apparently some people wanted more of the same yeah. because it looks like more of the same. I mean, you got all the same characters. You got yeah. the same bad guy. That's what I'm That's what I'm worried about. Yeah. That's yeah. what I'm worried about. Uh, they, yep. Yeah. So um, I, I, I don't know. I feel like sh- I'm sort of cheating since we've already alluded to the... Uh, Star Trek, um, the new Star Trek trailer. So I'll just say you should go watch it because it's great. Uh, it's very short. It's a, it's a, just a teaser again. Yeah. Well, no, th- there was one that was, uh, I guess, two weeks ago now that was the super big uh, two and a half minute trailer, mm-hmm. right? And then the, I guess maybe I haven't seen the trailer, but you should go watch it. The one I was, I am just captivated by is uh, The Girl, uh, David Riker's film. Um, yeah. That is, uh, I think, opened last friday or this just on on the 8th i believe and uh, i have not seen it but it's uh uh let's see abby cornish um uh, is uh down and out uh um woman who is really struggling and has no money and is estranged from her family and and she ends up becoming a uh i what do they call it like a you live in arizona is it like a border mule yeah, like a, like a coyote is what a they coyote, call it. A coyote, yeah, right, right, yeah. right. Border mule is the drugs, I think. Yeah, that's where she would be, yeah, she would be actually smuggling drugs she's across smuggling the border. Smuggling drugs. In this case, she's she is driving, uh, she's smuggling immigrants. That's right. a coyote. I'm so glad you're involved here. I, I, yes, I, involved is probably not the right <laughs> word, but... <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> I'm so glad you're so intimately uh, into the uh, the uh, industry. That's what I think the word is. There have been a number of trailers for this. I am just captivated. I think it's very moving. I, I, It's one of those that I don't know I'll be able to actually go see because I'll be in a red-hot mess. Yeah. Uh, so, but uh, I'm, I'll... This is, I think, one worth catching at some point. It looks beautiful. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, Abby Cornish is really kind of uh, proving herself these days. She's she's just kind of popping up everywhere, isn't she? She really is. She really is. And Will Patton uh, is um, is always fun to watch and uh, kind of uh, has that um, William Fitchner kind of character actor vibe to him. Very He's funny. one of those guys that he has to be in the right role for me, or yeah. I have a hard time watching him. Yeah. I think that all stemmed from uh, your favorite Kevin Costner movie, The Postman. <laughs> <laughs> One of these days, we're going to do a, a series of The Postman and Waterworld. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. I'm looking, really looking forward to that. Apocalyptic movies that should have that ended sh- the world. That should have <laughs> ended the world. That's right. We were right. rooting for the apocalypse. <laughs> Get That's the series. Are you kidding? Oh, yeah. That's the thought that we've got to. I'm right. I'm making a note. Series that's a fantastic, that, that, we got to put that up as a list at least where we root <laughs> for the world to end <laughs> for oh. the <laughs> while we watch the film we secretly are hoping for the apocalypse please just end it for these <laughs> sad sack people that's what we're hoping for oh. i wrote that down okay oh. uh so, so jumping, the... jump, jumping back to the girl <laughs> real quick though <laughs> yes this is just a very strange note but on imdb it has the full cast list in credits order, and Abby Cornish is at the very bottom, and it says rest of cast listed alphabetically. She's there. <laughs> <laughs> Even though she's the lead, that's where they put her. That's funny. IMDb is on the ball. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. really funny. Yeah. So I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, that's all right. Uh, I spout something very wise. No, I I wasn't. I'll tell you, I wasn't. What I was going to say is, you know what? Goodness. G.I. Joe Retaliation. Have they been teasing that thing for two years? I feel like I've seen the whole movie. Already. I do, too. And I every time I go to IMDb, it's like front page. Let it go. Let me. I just, you know, enough. Mm-hmm. I'm sick of it already. Sick of it. I'm reading your mail. OK. Should we talk about this movie? Yes. All right. Let's so, do it. So deep, this movie. It is a deepy, isn't it's it? So deep. <laughs> is that it's a word? A, it's a deepy. <laughs> Does that deflate some of the deepness? <laughs> <laughs> it is. Uh, it is certainly. Uh, there's a lot of depth to this movie. I love this movie, and you know what? You would you you sent me an email, and it was about the recipe. For a uh, science fiction film, right? Yeah, yeah. Tell well, me about. Well, tell me about where that comes from, because I thought that I think that is a great preface to talk uh, conversation about this movie. Well, Danny Boyle, uh, he was um, mentioning it. He said that you know, there's three things that are at the core to most great sci-fi films. You've got to have a ship, a crew, and a message that they receive that throws things into. You know, kind of the inciting incident of the film, if you will, the thing that that pushes them into the story. So those three things really, I mean, you look at Alien, you look at, uh, you know, 2001, uh, you look at, you know, all those other films with messages <laughs> that I'm blanking on. You know, those yeah, films. Those other ones, yeah. they all have them and they're all great. 
but no, it's but it's interesting because it's it's that message. Everything seems to be going fairly normally, and then a message comes in. Star Trek—that's the one I was thinking of, the original mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. the message from V'ger, uh, where they start pursuing the message, and that throws the them into a situation that then they have to deal with. And that's a perfect uh, example of what happens here in Sunshine. There is it, it's such an interesting. Um, I, I think it is interesting. The other thing that that I think is. Uh, uh, kind of right on, on track with that, is that, um, you know, he speaks at length about the potential to be trapped in these science fiction, uh, these interstellar science fiction stories, uh, elements, right? That these these movies, 2001 and Alien uh, and Solaris, uh, uh, Tarkovsky's Solaris, um, are always, the, they're always looming over, your head as you're making one of these, you know, a film in this genre, and it, it's inescapable. Um, and so, to me, as I watch Sunshine, uh, I I happen to love it. I, I mean, I love the elements of it. I love the the uh, how it, you know, sort of the visual style um, uh, of you know Alwyn Kuchler, um and how it sort of pays homage to, uh, you know, Blade Runner, uh, just in the way they frame faces uh, and the way they play with light and the way they play with distortion. Um, but I can also see how people would say, gosh, those are, you know, that's, that's not an homage anymore. Um, because for a while, you know, when you see the crew sit down at the table for the first time and they're all you know, having their casual conversation and the way they play with audio and the way they play with the table that kind of lights up from the bottom, it, mm-hmm. that's alien. I mean, that's as alien as you get. Right. Uh, and, and yet, to, for me, I think the, the story, uh, the message uh, is powerful enough that, um, that I'm, I'm along for the ride the whole, uh, the whole way through. Well, and I think they were very smart in the production of this film, uh, which came out in 2007, in that they really went to great lengths to create it as scientifically accurate as they as they really could, with you know with some caveats here and there. Uh, they had uh, Brian Cox, a, a, a scientific consultant and a, I believe a professor at Manchester uh, in college or something. I can't remember where he is. He works at um, what's the name of that big. Uh, thing where they have the, uh, the accelerator particle, the particle accelerator thing. CERN, yeah, he yeah, works CERN. out at CERN and stuff. Um, he came on board to kind of be the scientific advisor and uh, just very uh, detail in, in making sure that they were as accurate as they could with, like I said, caveats like artificial gravity and some things like that that really aren't uh, possible yet. Nobody's really figured that out. Um, but by grounding it in this reality and grounding, essentially the story is one that's grounded in reality. It's not like they're flying off to meet aliens somewhere or anything like that. It's, it's a simple story of, of our son is dying. We need to create something that can basically jumpstart it so that our, our world doesn't end. It's a kind of a simple story and that's it. It's, it's all very kind of scientifically based really i mean aside from the fact that you know the the sun itself dying um isn't really going to happen for probably about five million years um you know the this scientist brian cox came up with this very elaborate 
reason as to, okay, if the story takes place 50 years in the future, what could it be? And he came up with a very scientific explanation as to something that really could happen that would cause the sun to just kind of to fade out and die. By keeping it grounded in that realism all the way through, and and the effects fit right in with that, because the the effects in this, I mean, when I saw this, I just remember thinking how phenomenal they were from beginning to end, just just really stellar uh, stellar effects. Um, it just it just keeps you grounded in that reality all the way through, and it makes it feel that much more authentic. And I think by using those tools, even though there may be those homages and those bumps up against those big classic films, he really is creating a film here that stands on its own. I feel. No, I I I really ag- agree with you. Um, you know, to me, it feels very sort of. Um, it it feels insofar as they have this beautiful ship flying through space it still feels very mechanical very practical right mm-hmm. um and you, you you sort of walk through the ship and you get this feeling that every element is used for something right you don't have this you know there's nothing that that is really sort of decorative to me you know it just yeah. feels very practical even in in some of the more gorgeous set elements uh you know like the uh, you know like the greenhouse you know, the oxygen, the oxygen, garden, right. the oxygen garden is a is a gorgeous set element, but it's also very practical with the scrubbers and the and the, just the the white uh, against the green of the the plants that uh, um, that she continues to that she picks in the first act is just all very very beautiful, but still very practical. And that that sort of sets this it, it grounds the the film in reality when you when you look at the kinds of things that are breaking. Uh, when uh, one of the elements I think that really speaks to that that I love so much is when. Uh, uh, gosh, the, what is his name? The uh, the uh, who was making the corrections? Uh, oh, the um, stereo, was it Sonata? Trey? Uh, yeah, Trey. Yeah, Trey uh, was was making the corrections because they were they decided that they were going to go uh, check out the the ship that they had thought previously was lost. Right. And uh, there's a loud a loud crunching noise. And they all run in, and he's like in tears. He said, "I screwed up. I made a mistake." And and that was one of those elements that I think was that that sequence, and the captain's response, um, you know, uh, played by Hiro- Hiroyuki Sanada uh, mm-hmm. as Captain Kaneda, was uh, I, I think one of the most sort of human and practical responses. Um, that you know what, we're not dead. Uh, we're just going to move forward, and yet uh, Trey never quite. Uh, as the navigator, he never quite recovered from that incident. And what broke uh, again, sort of lending that sort of practical element, is the shields. Uh, the the shields stopped working, and in right. one segment, and that leads to one of the most intense uh, mechanical rescue or mechanical sort of fix sequences mm-hmm. uh, I've, uh, that I think I've seen. Yeah, absolutely, and uh, I, I mean, aside from the great character performances, this that that then leads to one of the most beautiful uh, CG sequences that I've seen in ages. In fact, almost every CG sequence in this film is just stunning. Gorgeous. I mean, I, you really can't argue watching this in the best uh, best format possible. Uh, I mean, it's just such a stunning film to look at. But when, when uh, the captain is out there and he's trying to get this fixed and he knows he's not going to be able to in time for the sun before the sunlight hits and he he turns and just as as the sun is 
coming back over the shield and you just have this wave of this solar energy that is just just this gorgeous like red tidal wave red and orange and yellow and as it just kind of plows into him I mean, it's just it really is is beautiful in the most horrifying way it you know it is um as you watch kind of being engulfed by color you know uh, and mm-hmm. I, I think that's a really that's one of those um those visual elements that i found really appealing the way uh, boyle plays with cold and hot and how mm-hmm. to visualize cold and hot throughout the movie um that what we have is uh you know every time we see cold uh it is incredibly painful right usually it's mm-hmm. involved in the coolant or out in space and mm-hmm. in space uh, after they are they're trying to you know uh, get back from the Icarus to the Icarus 2 uh and they they have to do that that emergency evacuation without suits uh at what what is it 237 minus 237 degrees celsius or uh, celsius yeah pretty it's cold, pretty cold. and yeah. you watch them freeze you watch the characters open their eyes and have that little <gasps> and then their body their faces freeze solid that is mm-hmm horrifying and and grotesque and when you see uh chris evans as uh, mace uh, reach into the coolant to rescue the wrench he pulls his fist out and it's just uh it, it, it his his fist is you can tell he's just in, in incredible pain having reached mm-hmm. into that coolant trying to save his hand and every time you look at i mean even when we're introduced to the idea of heat it's through this shield and watching these characters try uh, try to uh, push the limits of what they can take in terms of being so close to the sun in this observation deck that it is a thing that they are yearning for more of, that they are mesmerized by, uh, and yet it is this thing that ultimately, um, you know, does them in. Yeah. And I, I think that dichotomy makes it, you know, makes it even more kind of horrifying when they when they they die as a result of that heat because they've they've almost been lured to it it's sort of a siren song which is you know a great uh, a great thing to uh say about it when you see how obsessed a couple of the characters come with sitting in the observation deck watching the sun testing the limits as to how how high they can open the 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 screen you know to see how much of the actual sun they can absorb um, it's it really is like you know staring into God or or whatever it you whatever you want to call it 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 has that feel to it mm-hmm. and there is this this uh, I guess a natural draw to to doing something like that and you know it it I, I have a feeling that being in a situation like that where you are trapped in a spaceship for as long as they are I mean if they didn't have that observation deck. Uh, to go look at the sun, uh, there certainly would probably be a lot of conflict and all that. And I mean, they probably would find a way to get some sunlight into the ship just because people naturally need that sunlight. Uh, it helps uh, with you know just functioning and sanity. But if they didn't have it set that way, I mean, I, you got to wonder why they would have an observation deck that that would you know open up so high. I mean, I guess it would make sense if they're you know back by Earth or something, and they have it at a much no more normal level where they get more regular sun. But still, it's like you, you got to wonder uh, the, the smartness of that. But then again, I guess they didn't really know. They didn't know what went wrong with Icarus One. You know. Well, and that gets to um, that gets to the the sort of primary 
antagonism of the of the latter half of the film. And I think you uh, originally you didn't like the way it played out. Well, and let me let, let's so, get to that in just just one sec. I just want to okay. say one last thing about uh, what you were talking about with um, with the color and everything. I think that the filmmakers also very smartly when they did the production design on the ship planned it in such a way where they limited all kind of the reds, oranges, yellows, and they really made it green, blue, gray, yeah, right. uh, just tried to keep that. So when you do see the sun, it is such a, uh, a much more drastic contrast to the world that we've been living in the rest of the time. And it's very smart of the filmmakers to do that. So we get that difference between the two. And like you said, it allows for that, uh, that balance between the coldness of the and and really kind of the coldness of science and the the kind of the warmth of nature. Well, you know, and that gets to um to the production design of the ship itself, right? I mean, the design of the ship is is I think really interesting. It's it's like a it's like an umbrella. Uh, mm-hmm. It it looks like an umbrella, and the the big part of the umbrella, the actual sort of canopy of the umbrella, is it, the top of it is the you know the heat shielding element and then the body of the umbrella and the big hollow section is the bomb uh where according to the lore of the film they mined all of earth's fissile material uh for this one bomb to go restart the sun Mm -hmm. and that's that's their mission to send this bomb into the sun there are two bombs well yeah the second right so icarus 2 is the second bomb and they have a first bomb on icarus and the the back of the ship down the handle is uh, you know those are the living quarters and the communication towers and the the oxygen garden and um so here we have the ship that's designed the brute forceness of it the kind of the brooding masculine uh musculature of the ship is this kind of brainless um shield from all of this heat that all of the sort of the cold intellectuals are kind of hiding from, and yet they yearn to see every time they get a chance to see it. I think the ship is such a a beautiful physical manifestation of the psychology that the characters are struggling to um, as they adapt through the course of the film. And I think that's one of the one of the elements of the kind of physical design of the of the um, of this whole production and how well it works with the actual sort of dramatic arc of the story. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, scientifically speaking. Uh, the scientist, uh, Brian Cox, said the ship would probably be something like this. Like they've actually designed some ships. They've never obviously, obviously built it, but they've designed some ships to go as close to the sun as they could. And they're very kind of um, either kind of this umbrella shape or conical front, something that will shield them from the heat of the sun. Right. And he said it's, he said it's absolutely a very kind of accurate design that they ended up coming up with for this. Well, you know, insofar as I hope we never have to send a bomb to the sun. <laughs> right. Uh, so, uh, okay, what, where I was about to change that, and then you had your one more thing thing. What was I talking about? Uh, you were going to jump to, um, oh, to yeah. the end. Well, and not even the end, but the, the, well, I guess the end. Sort of the second half of the film, what we get in the second half of the film, this is where we get into our, uh, the, you know, what is, is largely the Heart of Darkness parallel. Mm-hmm. So uh, the Icarus II... Or you could say the Heart of Lightness. You could. One one could say that. (laughs) (laughs) It's a little more fitting. (laughs) Yeah, all right. It's a little more fitting. Uh, Okay, so the Icarus I 
That's what the Icarus 2, the story surrounds the Icarus 2 and the crew of, of the Icarus 2 going to do the second bomb. The reason they have to shoot this thing to, this, to blow it is because the Icarus 1 failed. But they don't know why it failed. The ship uh, was lost. Mm-hmm. So as the Icarus 2 is getting closer to the sun, they hear the, um, uh, the lilting mm-hmm. sounds of the beacon, the rescue beacon from, from the Icarus 1, that the ship is still out there somewhere, and they find it. And they make the decision to find it. There's a lot of action, and then they find it. And uh, what, they, the, what they learn over the course of kind of discovering the ship is that the captain, uh, Captain Pin, Pinbacker, mm-hmm. went bonkers. Yep, and he was uh, he uh, ended up um, his deciding that his mission was not to blow up the sun to restart it, but that it was the will of God that all humanity should die. Right. He ends up killing everybody uh, on the ship, and then it turns out he doesn't die himself. He's just floating around in this Icarus one, and he becomes the crazy uh, zealot, uh, sun baked, crisped. uh, you know, killer uh, for the back half of the movie. Mm-hmm. What is it about that that you possibly would not like? Okay, well, <laughs> okay, I set you up with that. I could, I know that there is a window of uh, or there's a range of things you might not like about it. I, <laughs> but I, I, wow. I give the, fl- I yield the floor, Senator. Okay, I really thought about this time because it, it. It bothers me every time I watch it. And it still bothers me. And I'm like, what is bothering me so much about it? I really, really enjoy the story. I really enjoy the character. I enjoy the things he says. I enjoy everything about it. You're what talking I about decide- Pinbacker now? Pinbacker. Okay. Pinbacker. Uh, I, I enjoy all of the stuff going on. What I don't enjoy is the directing style that Danny Boyle chose to use for everything having to do with Pinbacker. I find it so distracting and hard to watch that I, I it, it frustrates me because I feel like there was a better, uh, more enjoyable, more psychologically thoughtful ending to the film if he hadn't opted to use his little lens tricks to create this like blurring effect every time you see Pinbacker so that it looks just like he's he's this like distorting thing all the time. Danny Boyle himself said that he was he wanted to go that way. He wanted to kind of step out of reality and kind of create this I don't know, kind of create this idea of this guy that um uh, he had been exposed to so much light that basically he, he it was almost like he had been changed and distorted himself and it was almost like he was emanating all these strange forces. Now I thought that was a bunch of bunk. I really like everything going on with Pinbacker except for that. And it makes it hard to watch because I really just want to enjoy the interaction between the two characters. And I've got this crazy like industrial grinding noise every time he's showing paired with this awful blurring of him that just makes it hard for me to focus on everything else that's going on. Okay. I... No, you said it. I'm glad you got that off your chest. And I'm I'm actually really glad that you said it the way you said it, because I think it's important to separate um, the crazy killer aspect from the production aspect of it. I mean, I, it, like you say, the story, you like the story, you like the presentation of the or you like the 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 way the 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 drama resolves 
Yeah. And the thriller resolves, but not. And and in that respect, I think I agree with you uh, on some level. It doesn't bug me. Um, it doesn't bug me that much uh, that I that I can't get past it. But I will say, the first time I saw it, I wasn't sure what his motivation was because I couldn't quite understand him. Yeah. Uh, and I think the more I have. Uh, kind of invested in the film and the more I watch the film the more I sort of pay attention to the film the more I get out of it and I I can see why that would be a deal breaker for people on the first view like Mm -hmm. if you it why why as you said why it feels like it falls apart in the third act it's the introduction of this whole new uh uh kind of visual aesthetic to a film that that only now yeah it only exists around this single character right and And up till now everything has been so scientific and so honest to reality and then to just break from reality at that point just just because of this character it doesn't make sense to me at all and i feel like danny boyle really in some way betrayed uh betrayed the film a little bit i i just i can't i can't buy what he did well i think that's a little bit strong <laughs> I, uh, I I don't find it a, a betrayal. I you know I think that one of the you know again we talk about the way all of the elements in the film really play together, and so much of the film is like this beautiful puzzle that just comes together so nicely. Um, and uh, when you look at the psychology and the philosophy of the film in in terms of how you know what Sunshine is introducing us to is you know these people who are who are functionally captive. And what happens when they become, you know, physically captive to this container that there is this tin can shooting through space and psychologically captive uh, with their relationships, you know, both inside their own head and and with the rest of the crew um, that introduces you to this darkness. And I think Boyle's, you know, I I think what I get from Boyle's uh, decision here is to say this this character of Pinbacker is going to be an exercise in the gap, the gap between what is sanity and what is absolutely insane, uh, both physically insane because he's horribly disfigured and mentally, uh, you know, uh, mentally insane. Uh, and, and I, I like that, uh, that he, he chose to use that sort of the, the camera trickery, the distortion to illustrate even further that, um, you know, this guy is an exercise in the gap. Yeah, I did. I mean, I, I still, I, I watch it. I still, I, and I think it makes it more horrifying. Uh, you know, as they move into more close-ups, more eyeball shots, uh, more looking through little slits in windows. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think it, it makes it more horrifying and a more horrifying indicator that more horrifying stuff is coming. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 like I said, I mean, I like everything about the ending. I like that apocalypse now sort of journey to journey up the river, you know, journey yeah. to the sun, only to find, um, you know, this this uh, this ship that should have been gone, but is there with this crazy captain who feels that he's kind of become one with God or become like the last man that God wants to be there, you know, to, before God destroys everything or whatever it is. Um, I, I find that just so fascinating and the ideas of that and the, and the, the psychology of what being out there um, alone, certainly, um, but even just with a crew of seven, uh, you know, can really do with you uh, to your mind when you're out there for so long on this journey to uh, to the sun, to our star, to this amazing force at the center of our universe. Mm-hmm. 
I just I I I think it's just so fascinating and everything going on with Pinbacker, the things he says, everything about it, I think is just genius, except for the camera tricks. The, uh, you know, you, I, I, again, I like the way you said that you, you framed that. Uh, I think visually there, there are a few elements in there that, that I think are particularly humbling. Uh, the big one for me is when, um, the, the lovely, uh, pilot, Mm-hmm. Uh, calls Rose. everybody forward. Yeah, Rose Byrne uh, calls everybody forward and says, "Hey, you guys want to see something?" And they all yeah. gather in the observation deck, and and uh, the captain introduces them to Mercury. Yeah, and it is tiny. Yeah, com- by in comparison, uh, just just by you know sort of where they are in relation to the sun as Mercury kind of passes between them, this little quarter sized thing uh, that floats between them, and they are all so. Uh, they're all just sort of reverent, uh, silent. Uh, it, it's just a sequence of great humility. And I think this film, insofar as what it tries to address is, you know, bold, it also does so by illustrating the humility and the, uh, that, that, uh, um, of the project that they're undertaking and our role with, you know, sort of the planet. And, and in that respect, I really like, I really like the last sequence. You know, when we see when we're oh, in, yeah. when we're back on Earth, um, because I think you could have gone, it could have gone another way. There was an inter- one of the interviews that I I read about this uh, was uh, where Boyle had said, you know, you could have made this a disaster movie, right? Mm-hmm. And it would have been pretty easy, uh, in his words, to make this a disaster movie. You just put a couple of people back on Earth that have some connection to the people on the ship, and suddenly you have a disaster movie. Um, and uh, in, instead, he really chose not to because this was, you know, insofar as this was a story about these guys trying to save the Earth, um, it was a story more about their character and, as you say, the journey up the river. Yeah. Uh, yet, I, I think the, the choice to cut back to, which they didn't, I, I don't think he had to do, uh, the, the choice to cut back to, um, to the uh, snow-covered Earth. Was, yeah, the cap is, yeah, snow-covered Sydney. Yeah, snow-covered Sydney, that's right. Uh, was um, it gave it gave it some heart, yeah. Even though everybody dies, uh, the film is still able to end with some heart. Yeah, everybody in on the ship dies. Right, 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 on the ship. Yeah, right. Yeah, it's it's a beautiful end. It really is. And you know, just the fact that you have Kappa's message to his sister yeah. at that moment, in a, in a way, it's almost like his spirit lives on or something. You know, a spiritual like that. There's, and speaking of the ending, since we've we've went straight to the end, the moment between Kappa, right after he uh, successfully detonates the bomb uh, or triggers it, whatever you want to call it, right. And and you have that moment where all of a sudden, like the sun rushes in and then holds right in front of him, and you know, because all of this really is happening in like a billionth of a second. But like they've said, nobody really knows what would happen at that level of the sun because of how fast you're moving and the gravity and just everything going on. I mean, time is going to be distorted. All of this sort of stuff that's happening. Uh, so it's like a billionth of a second that this mm-hmm. moment happens where the whole thing goes. But he's got this moment where the wall of the sun comes in. And it's a beautiful shot where you see little tiny Kappa with his hand raised up to touch the sun on the left side of the screen. 
And then behind him on the right side of the screen is the inside of the bomb and the science. And you see all the particles, uh, you know, kind of detonating and, and splitting, and all the atoms splitting and everything on the right. And it's this beautiful image of nature and science coming together and man is right in between them. And it's just, I mean, it's, it's such a beautiful image. And it really talks about that connection that we have as, as scientific minded as we are, uh, nature is still an element that is made up of science, but it also has this beauty. And there's also this amazing beauty in, in the science. I mean, it, it's like this amazing balance between nature and science and how they both are one, even though they are different. And I just, I can't get enough of that ending. It's, it is such a perfect ending for the film. It is a perfect ending. I think you, you, uh, that sequence and the one I, I think to jump back to our conversation about how each of these characters sort of yearning for the color and the heat mm-hmm. and the brightness when when it cuts from him reaching up to actually being enveloped by the flames there's a mm. shot on his face as he is his mouth is open and it you are seeing from the perspective inside the flame as if you are about to absorb kappa and uh it, it, he's not he doesn't appear to be in pain uh mm. it's just being enveloped Mm -hmm. and i I felt like that in in so many ways is kind of the um you know it's the the punchline to this beautiful joke that they started in the very first act um that that was just really rewarding for me yeah absolutely visually at least yeah yeah uh what else and and emotionally i think it's emotionally just rewarding i mean just seeing that look on his face it's just i mean it really Everything that uh, I mean, a scientist and a human wants is just like that—that that connection with nature and that understanding and that amazement. I mean, that's really what I see in his face is just like that awe, you know, that uh, this thing before him. Yeah. You know, there's something else about this movie that kind of gets me that they that they deal with, and and uh, is that look at what we are capable of doing when we are no longer afraid. Uh, or, or when we have accepted that we are going to die, mm-hmm. you know, and they deal with this a little bit as the, um, you know, the co-pilot, uh, what is his, uh, Tom, uh Troy Garrett Pray. is Harvey, right? Yeah. Uh, he is really struggling and as second in command, uh, or no, he, he didn't go over to the, to the, uh, Icarus. Who was it? Who went over to the Icarus who, uh, um gosh Searle Searle no it wasn't Searle it was the one who said oh I get it you you think I'm gonna die uh yeah it was uh, Harvey it, yeah, it was it was Harvey. Harvey okay yeah. so they said that uh, uh so he's having a real trouble and he's trying to order Cap and get out of the heat suit he's he's you know you can tell he's really struggling with the fact that um you know he doesn't want to die he's not made that that mm-hmm. leap uh, and things don't end up ending well for him. But Searle uh, has a very, you know, you see one after another uh, from Kaneda to Searle to these characters who, uh, and particularly Mace, I think, who's made that decision again and again, um, who who dis- are able to do incredible things uh, as a result of their uh, acceptance that, you know they're going to die, and and their project, you know, in this case, is so much bigger than they are. And I, yeah. I, I love, I, I love that message. It's like that aspirational message of of living without fear. I think that's a, it's such a powerful thing. Yeah, and it's it it, it is interesting seeing 
the different ways that people react to that acceptance that they have to have. And I think uh, Harvey is an interesting case in point where clearly he doesn't want to accept that because, you know, he misses his family right. back home or whatever it is. He's he's so stuck on that that he does not want to uh, acknowledge the fact like he's the one who's holding on to like the communications tower that the fact that it's going to get destroyed when they rotate the ship a little bit. Um, so that, uh, the captain and, and Kappa can go work on the shields and, right. you know, he's always thinking about getting back to earth. He's not as focused on the mission as everyone else is. Right. Right. Yeah. And that, that I think is a, you know, his role sort of in the character wheel is, is, uh, is really clear and, and provides interesting contrast to all these other people who you sort of get the feeling that when they left earth probably were, were knew they were pretty much done. Uh, I, I feel like when they left Earth, they probably felt pretty confident, like, yeah, we're going to go drop this thing in, because the ship is designed to send the bomb yeah, to designed the sun to, and then, and come then home. head home. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody jumps on it going, all right, we're going to go do this and die, and you know, but you never know. They could, and they, yeah, well, I think... No, I, you know, I'm just, I just think that there is a, you know, at some point on the trip, and maybe we see that for every character, maybe, you know, going into the film... Uh, you, you know, as we start the film's timeline, we don't actually see that, but um, or we we don't. They hadn't come to that, um, a, you know, search. But it's pretty early on where you start seeing some of those as as they start getting bad news. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, one news report after another that things are are going south. Yeah, and they start having to make some really difficult choices. Um, that they're you know, they're each coming to terms with the fact that they're not coming home. You know, it's interesting. Um, one of the there's a book that uh, Danny Boyle had read. I think Alex Garland, who wrote the script, had also read it. That um, they both really felt very interesting in in the psychological look at astronauts. And they, I, I believe, Danny Boyle gave it to all the actors and had them read it. It's called Moon Dust um, by Andrew Smith, and it's actually interviews with the uh, surviving astronauts who uh, from the Apollo missions and talking about, you know, life after, you know, where do you go after you've been to the moon Uh and really kind of looking at how their life has changed since they are, since they have been off of our planet and they have had a chance to actually go out to space and how has that changed the way that they think and the, the way that they react to things going on in the world so because it's it's a fascinating psychology and you know they were saying there well there's two two points that uh, that uh, I want to bring up one was um one of the russian cosmonauts had said something like if you lock up two to three men in a confined space for months on end you've created the perfect situation for murder <laughs> which i think probably is true right? just trying yeah. to deal with each other in a confined space for a long period of time is very difficult and then the other thing that they said is on these apollo missions they after the uh the, there was i believe the way it works and i am unfortunately not uh an astronaut and i'm not horribly scientific as far as that goes but i believe Wait, the way it works i know i know i'm sorry i ruined that for you <laughs> that's kind of what you brought to the table <laughs> but i believe the way it works is that when one of these apollo lunar missions would go up one of the astronauts would stay in the little ship up above while the little lunar lander with the other astronauts would go down and land and they would play around on the moon. Yeah. This one astronaut who is up in the ship would be orbiting the moon all by himself 
And that person said it was the most the most lonely and the most distant that they've ever felt when they circle the moon and they're on the dark side of the moon. They have no communication with anyone in the world and they're the farthest person away from the planet at that point in time. <laughs> and it's like, I can't remember how, like 12 minutes or something that that trip lasts on the dark side of the moon before they gain communication again. But just thinking about that, I mean, yeah. if you if you really sit and think about what would that be like you can only imagine what that what sort of games being in space plays in your head I, you can imagine he's just sitting there sharpening a stick you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> right exactly like not only is he really alone he's the dude who didn't get to get to go down <laughs> right. on the moon like how who's the guy who volunteers for that right <laughs> oh wait 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 so no one small step <laughs> i'm the guy without the small step Right. Really? We are coming up to the end of the hour. Do you have your uh, one more thing, or shall we start talking about uh, budgets and flick charting? I have I have so many lists of things to talk about. I know. It's I do, too. for this one. I know. Okay. So just a, just a few little uh, facts about the sun that I thought were interesting. <laughs> <laughs> this is the science part of our show. <laughs> I know. I didn't, well, I didn't see this coming. I, I didn't either, but I found it interesting. Do you know that one million Earths can fit in the sun? It's one million. That is a lot of Earths. That is a lot of Earths. The sun's surface is 6,000 degrees Celsius. So it's, yes. So it's warmer than... It, it's definitely hot. And it's burning 600 million tons of fuel per second. And it loses 4 million tons of mass every second. As wow. it's burnt all of that that uh, fuel, that's all that energy, which is essentially sunshine, which is coming out at us, which I just found really fascinating because you, you don't think about sunshine as being this powerful force of energy, but really it is this these tons of mass that are burning and and shooting off of the sun that that keeps us alive. I, but I don't know, something about that just made really struck me as far as like the name of this film, yeah. sunshine, and just really what it means. And the nature of sun and, and us, essentially, what Pinbacker is saying, how really all of us are nothing more than stardust, which is really true. Right. And when they're walking around the Icarus, the one that stuck with me is that 80% of dust is human skin. Yeah. <laughs> which is awesome. Yeah. And everyone on the on the commentaries was laughing about how much dust is really on that ship. Yeah. And how really, there's no way there's that much <laughs> how many... on those seven people. <laughs> exactly. How many people actually evaporated on that ship <laughs> to create an inch of dust on every surface? I know. That was fantastic. I loved it. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to say... Now I lost it. Um, oh, Alex Garland, who wrote this script, he the reason that he was drawn to write this idea of this script was he came across the, this, you know, this, I don't know if it's an article or a book, something that he read that was talking about how our universe is in this expanding state right now. And it's expanding faster and faster. And it's just going to keep expanding. And there's, because of that, Everything, all all life is is going to end. There is never going to be a way for it to continue the way things are going. And I mean, it's it's going to be a very long time. It's not like it's happening next Thursday at noon. <laughs> as far as you know, <laughs> as far as I know, I didn't pick that for any particular reason. <laughs> but he got really depressed about this, and he felt like really like, what's the point of all of this? 
And I, I think it was a way to kind of get through that, that he ended up writing this script, coming up with a way to kind of create meaning out of this kind of horrible feeling that he had about the the universe being pointless. And it's I, I just found it really interesting in the context of our series here, original screenplays, the nature of tapping into something that is just just absolutely honest scientific evidence and using that to come up with a story that only takes place 50 years in the future and making this amazing science fiction film that really deals with the nature and the science and the, and the blend between the two and you know where we come from and where we're going and just the nature of man and everything and i, I just i'm amazed the way that writers can find an element like that that they can tap into that gives them an amazing opportunity to create an amazing piece of art. We should say uh, Alex Garland is uh, responsible for some other uh, in-depth looks at, at uh, sort of life and science uh, as the uh, author of, or as the writer of 28 Days Later and Dread. Mm -hmm. um, I know both of which sort of deal with the kind of reality of the end of the world scenario in, in very much the same way as Sunshine. Absolutely. Absolutely true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you just had to get that in there, didn't you? A little bit. A little bit. I kind of wanted to see where you would go with it, and you took it. You were dead serious. It was not as much fun as I'd hoped it to be. Uh, I wasn't going to let it be. No, let's, that was. Let you take me there. That was well played. <laughs> that was well played. Uh, we should uh, we should talk. Say that the movie did not do very well in the box office, but yeah, the movie really did not do well. It, it's funny because it's. Uh, I I I, st I still say it's a absolutely brilliant film and i think everybody needs to add this to their original science fiction collection it doesn't appear to have uh that same sort of momentum um of cult film like cult favorite no it doesn't uh it seems like i, I mean yeah from what i saw domestically for dvds it's only made about six and a half million and that's just you know it's not doing that well yeah, yeah. so uh it costs it cost about 40 million to make Domestically, well, worldwide, it only made thirty-two million, Ugh. and uh, with the domestic DVD sales of six and a half million, it still hasn't broken even, which is really a shame because they couldn't get Hollywood to fund it. They managed to get some British companies to fund it, and they got the whole thing made in England, and then it still ended up being a bomb. I, I feel horrible for them because it's it is really a, a fantastic film uh, that really should have. Uh, done better i i absolutely uh agree i think it is a fantastic film and it, you know i mean i don't know he from here we danny boyle goes on to uh slumdog millionaire so you know at least he was able to work again and he got to work with the queen shortly uh, right. a little few years after that <laughs> yes yes he did <laughs> Uh, and so he's, uh, you know, obviously, he just, but this is, this interestingly, it took me, I don't know, this is, uh, there aren't, I, I can't, you know, looking in, at his filmography, you know, there, there are no movies in here that I really didn't like. Well, there's um, one I, I definitely didn't like. The Beach. Uh, two I definitely didn't like. <laughs> A Life Less Ordinary in The Beach? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. Those are the two. I, I, I liked A Life Less Ordinary. It had great soundtrack. Yeah, it just really was nonsense, though. <laughs> Persnickety. I am. What can All I right. say? So let's, let's, let's... Wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. One more thing. There's one. I just had one more thing. 
You go first. There's, there's, there's a couple more things. Okay. One, I think there's, well, the, the cast list is small. I just want to we read haven't, the cast yeah. because yeah. there's some people we didn't mention that we should have. Killian Murphy certainly is. Cap was great. Chris Evans, who is fantastic. Captain America. Uh, I shouldn't say he's fantastic. He's he's uh, mostly uh, because he was Fantastic he, Four. Uh, fantastic Four. That's right. Yeah. Michelle Yao, who is wonderful in yep. this as the botanist, and uh, Rose Byrne, the lovely Rose Byrne, as the pilot. Troy Garrity, uh, Hiroyuki Sonata, who is fantastic as Canada in this. Benedict Wong and Mark Strong as the freaky, blurry pinbacker. Yeah. Oh, and Cliff Cliff Curtis as Searle. So wonderful cast all around. I, I loved the international feel of it. And I loved how it wasn't cast with like one big star and a bunch of, you know, kind of supporting actors. It really was across the board, just a bunch of great actors who none of them at this point, I would say, were probably like A-list actors. Chris Evans, I, I suppose you could now argue is as Captain America. Right, but, but in 2007... Fantastic Four didn't really uh, make him uh, the A-list actor at that point. No. Um, yeah, he had done... Yeah, there, there was nothing really in there prior to Sunshine. Um, you know, it was... Uh, I, that's one of the things I really like about it. And I, I, I feel bad. I should, we, we should mention Killian Murphy as, uh, as Kappa just because he... Um, I take him for granted... Uh, as excellent in just about everything he does, whether it's Scarecrow to Kappa to train spotting. The he's just great. He he's uh he is. He really is great in everything that he does. And uh I really enjoy watching him. Was he in train spotting though? No, I was I was uh, looking at Ewan, 28 I was days looking later? at twenty eight days later. I was looking at Ewan McGregor as I said it. Ah, gotcha. And uh so yeah, you threw me for a minute. I did. Like, no, I'm sorry, but 28 days later, uh, you know, I mean, I just that's where I feel like I met him uh, was in 28 days later, and um, you know, we've already obviously talked about that, but yeah, okay. But it, but it is a stellar cast. They really yeah. uh, uh, could not have picked a better group of people to work together. Right. Okay. Now, can we flick chart it? Oh yeah. Uh, well, I guess so. Um, talk for a second, though. Uh, okay, you should go to flickchart.com slash the next reel because that's where you can see uh, how we uh, rank. And we, we try to collaboratively, collaboratively <laughs> in a team-like fashion through discussion, constructive discussion, and no belittling or judgment, we try to come to some agreement on uh, where each of the films that we discuss, uh, both on the next reel and in the film board, uh, belongs in our overall ranking. So if you go to uh, flickchart.com slash the next reel, you can see our, our entire ranking of every film we've ever done. This should be, what, 78? Um, yes, we're getting up there. We're at uh, uh, 70. This will be 78, yes. 78. 78. So number 78. Mm -hmm. Did I vamp long enough for you? Are you ready to go? I am ready. Yeah, I just, yeah, yeah. All right. I, yes. You were going to go ahead. You have a disclaimer. Go ahead. What is it? No, it wasn't a disclaimer. Okay. It's something else. I'll tell you afterward. Oh, good. Okay. Yes, that's All right. right. Go for okay. it. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Oh, I'm right. Are you kidding? Su Sunshine or Looper? Sunshine. Yeah, I agree. Sunshine or Zero Dark Thirty? I hate it when they come up really early. I know. Because it, it really defines the rest of the movies it'll be ranked against. I hate that. Yeah. Uh, I have to go Zero Dark Thirty. I would say Zero Dark Thirty. Absolutely. 
Sunshine or Adaptation? Uh, sunshine. Really? Yeah. Do you, would you like to collaborate? Let's go. <laughs> let's collaborate. All right. Let's stop. Let's stop. Collaborate, collaborate and listen. And listen. <laughs> you idiots. Who are these idiots? Uh, go ahead. Uh, okay. Uh, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I'm really torn between the two. I just feel Charlie Kaufman had such an amazing concept with the way that he structured the script for adaptation. To me, it is an absolutely amazing exercise in writing and the way that a writer can create a wholly unique script that had never been seen before. I really like adaptation and it's awesome. <laughs> I totally derailed there. Well, Sorry. maybe I, and, and I, I don't have a whole lot of sort of fire in the belly on this one. I think that to me, while I absolutely agree with you, I love adaptation. I will, when I think about which movie I'm going to put on first, which movie I get that sort of, um, just sort of that kind of dead rush from, uh, it's going to be uh, Sunshine over Adaptation. Well, and I think for me, the reason I would probably go Adaptation is because, aside from the fact that uh, the film is just such a fantastically interesting structure and everything, the it's the ending of Sunshine that I struggle with. The yeah. The camera work, I just feel like I wish that Danny Boyle had made a different decision there. Well, and, and to your point, I think when Act 3 goes bonkers in adaptation, um, it, it it ends up doing so in a way that is um, sort of structured uh, to fit within the overall kind of construction of the of the film. And, right. and I do, I, I appreciate that. It's It's not something you necessarily like or don't like. It was... Uh, non-accidental it's designed it's it's, it's a designed twist. chaos it's a twist that comes into the third act but it's it's been set up for yeah. you yeah and danny boyle had no setup at all for the, what he did with uh with pinbacker he was a violator a betrayer <laughs> all right all right i'm so, gonna give you i'm gonna give you adaptation on this i'm excited right. about that see how that Sun, worked that was great I, uh, what collaboration sunshine or the born identity I do sunshine. <laughs> Over the born identity. Okay. Yeah, I would too. Okay. Sunshine or the born ultimatum? Oh, sunshine. I will agree with you there. Sunshine or the descent? Oh, we're going up or we're going down. <laughs> That's right. That's another one. Kick in the face or a kick in the crotch. <laughs> oh boy. I, I'm gonna say, um Wow. That's really hard. I they're both here's just... the thing about the descent. It's the we get um a similar kind of epic journey, but I love the fact that they it's a cast of all women. I think mm -hmm. that gives a horror film a dramatically different tone. Um, and it, it's a, a unique strength that we see in the third act. And I love that. Um, but wow. I know. Uh, that's a say, tricky one. Um, what, what are you going to say? I mean, let's say at the same time, one, two, three, the descent, the descent. Yeah. You cheated. <laughs> I did. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we're done. Number 32 out of 78. All right, I like it. That's pretty good. That's pretty good.
<laughs> you go, sunshine. <laughs> no cult favorites here. Uh, Thirty-two right. doesn't get you in the running for cult favorite. Nope. Nope. All right. Hey, this uh, this was awesome. What are we doing next week? Now we have a couple. We have two more in our original sci-fi series for 2013. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, oh, uh, do you want to talk about the? Have you finished the record the uh, cost per minute thing? We haven't right. talked about that in a while. Uh, I did for sunshine. For sunshine, yeah. Uh, yeah, I saw there. it was on there, but uh, yeah, it it, it lost seventy three thousand seven hundred ninety one dollars <laughs> per minute. <laughs> oh, it's just sad. That's so not funny. It's not. Oh wow. <laughs> I know. Okay, so the next uh, next film we we it looks like we're doing after sunshine. We're gonna we're going to uh, hit moon. That's right. We're going from the sun to the moon. <laughs> I uh, I am very uh, very much looking forward to uh, Moon. It stars one of my very favorite 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 actors, Kevin Spacey. <laughs> Sorry, Sam Rockwell. <laughs> I love Sam Rockwell, and beautifully, it stars a lot of Sam Rockwell. <laughs> it really really does. Revolves around <laughs> Sam Rockwell. If he didn't perform well in that film, yeah. it would never have worked. It, would never. It's a, it, it was an ambitious film to put him in it at that point. I love it. I love it. I'm very excited to talk about it. And uh, so that's another in our original sci fi series. Then we'll wrap it up uh, the week after, and then we get into something else that because our entire yearly schedule is now completely thrown. <sighs> it is. We, yeah, we, we got some work to do some reworking. But, yeah. but this is a great series. Uh, I, I don't have anything else. Do you have anything else? We gotta get out of here. I don't. All right. I, I, I feel I have all these things that I still want to say, but I feel like if I do, I'm I just gonna won't stop. So I know you got to be a three hour show. We gotta may show well some just, restraint. We may yeah. as well just stop now. What you know? What? Let's just review it next year again. <laughs> I'll keep my notes handy. Definitely do that. We did that. Oh, yeah. But I wanted to say. By so the way, last year so picking up. <laughs> <laughs> so this a million. Earths. <laughs> Has that sunk in? A million inside the. Never mind. Thank you all uh, to our uh, live listeners uh, and, I, and 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 our dead ones and our dead ones. Uh, and uh, uh, hello to uh, to our man Job uh, Abraria who's just uh, commented. He says, "I love it when you actually do movies. I love." <laughs> Apparently, he doesn't listen often. <laughs> but man, he saw sunshine. He's in there. I uh, uh, love that you guys are joining us live. Thanks so much for doing it, and we'll catch you next week. I'm out of here. So is Andy. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna not go. I'm just gonna stick around, and I'm gonna spout <laughs> back up <the> sun <laughs> all by my lonesome. <laughs> Did you know? <laughs> I feel like I need I need to insert some some boots walking toward a door and a, a squeaky door closing, and you can just keep talking. Oh man, I'm gonna. I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. 
If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.